Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour of Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. That's pretty funny, right? I'm so excited to be here today with you. And if you like the podcast, I so hope that you'll give us some stars and rate us so that other women who are in need of reinvention help or inspiration can find us. So please do that. And I want to tell you about a great conversation we're having today with a friend of mine named Deborah Boulanger, who does something called The Great Do-Over. And she's a coach and an inspirer. And what I really love is her quote where she says, the key to happiness is to not believe what you're thinking. How do you like that? That's a really good way to start. So I want to welcome Deb Boulanger. So I want to welcome Deb Boulanger, and she's here to talk about her re reinvention. Deb, how are you today? I'm great, Leslie. It's so great to be here chatting with you today. Great. So let's talk a little bit. You've had a lot of reinventions. Let's go way back and talk about your original reinvention out of education. Mm. Explain to me where you grew up and how you got into education and then how you moved yourself out of it. Yeah, I will. And maybe this is common too for some of your listeners. So I grew up in a normal middle class family in uh, New England. So born in Rhode Island, lived in Massachusetts and Connecticut and didn't really know what to do. Uh, when it came time to go call it to college, my father was a corporate executive. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And so I decided to go into education. And then I had a very successful career for about four years as a special education teacher. And then what did you do? Then I decided that it was really hard in those days in 1982 to make a living as a teacher and pay your rent, pay your bills. And so I saw this trend in office automation and computer programming and decided to jump into the business world and start working for a consultant who was, who was pretty popular and had a growing business in this whole office automation field and found that I really love business and that I thrive there. And for my entire career had invented my own positions from starting as a an executive assistant and then going into sales and then starting the marketing department at another company. I worked for Gartner for 20 years and ended up my professional career two levels below the CEO at a $1.4 billion company. Wow, that's great. And what was your, what was the final title that you left at? I was a group vice president of product development. And so I had, uh, found that I really thrived on creativity and creative pursuits. And I just love creating things. And that fit well in a rapidly growing company that was creating new products and services, uh, multiple products and services in a year, in any given year. And so I just uh, jumped on that bad wagon and became their number one creator. And we launched uh, dozens of programs over the course of those 20 years that really grew the company substantially. And it was a lot of fun for me. 
And what kind of programs were they? Because it's so funny when we talk about office automatic automation. Oh my God, mm -hmm. I remember people using those words. What kind of programs were those? Well, Gartner is a market research and technology advisory firm for corporate executives who are in the information technology industry. And we basically sold advice on when to buy new technology, uh, who the best vendors were, the best I practices and in installation and things like that. I see. So then when did you go on to next? Um, after my stint at Gardner, well, I, I was there for 10 years and then decided it was time to leave. I had hit the proverbial glass ceiling and as a senior director and, and got frustrated and, and jumped off after, after the IPO and then uh, worked into the new media business. So if you remember the New York new media age, I jumped onto that trend. So I'm, I'm always spotting industry patterns. I'm spotting trends in, in cultures, trends in society. And that has always excited me. And for some reason, I had no fear about jumping in and trying new things and excelling in new careers. So I rode that New York new media wave, the interactive technology agency wave for about seven years until 9-11. And ah, okay. yeah, and then I was part of that, that group of people who after 9-11, the industry sort of imploded and a lot of us were out on the street looking for jobs. And so what did you do next? I went back to the people who knew and loved me best. <laughs> and I went uh, back, to, I went back to Gartner. I was hired as a VP oh of product God. development. Okay. All right. So, uh, and then for the next 10 years, I just uh, excelled there and um, creating new products. And finally I said, you know, I'm, I'm really tired of creating things that other people get to nurture and grow and get all the credit for. So there was a turnaround situation where we had a line of business that wasn't doing as well that had about eight people in it so far uh, at the time. And then I uh, redefined the offering, relaunched it and grew it into a $32 million business in two and a half years. And that gave me a lot of confidence. And then I felt like I was done. <laughs> and uh, how old were you when you were done? I was about 55. Okay. And then I decided to go out and start on my own. And so what are you doing now? Talk about what you do now and the great do-over. Is that the, the new thing you're doing? That's a new thing I do, I'm doing. So at 55, I found myself burnt out in my career. I found myself hitting menopause like a ton of bricks and my marriage falling apart all at the same time. And that was the impetus for me to really do some, some soul searching on, you know, who am I? What is it I want in my life? What is it I'm meant to do in this world? And I headed off to a silent meditation retreat for 10 days and I had never meditated before in my life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, that was the beginning of my path of self-discovery, you know, peeling back the layers of, of my own onion. It was the start of my own great do-over. And I just kept letting go of be limiting beliefs that I had about myself, letting go of fear, um, opening up to new possibilities, seeing myself in a different light. and once I let go of a lot of, a lot of my success in life was driven by the intellectual piece of spotting patterns, but also the fear of not being good enough and the anxiety of always having to prove myself. And I've been talking with a lot of women. I coach a lot of women 
who are senior executives in business and they're in the same spot you know this 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 feeling or this emotional affliction that many of us at this age have grown up with that I'm really not good enough and most of my life is is been in the pursuit of feeling good enough about what I'm doing and having that self-esteem and self-confidence. Is is that the imposter syndrome or is it different? It it can go under various names, you know, the imposter syndrome is sort of about oh my god, I'm not really good enough to be here what if they find me out, you know, or women will really say, I can't believe they're, they're paying me to do what I do. Or even a conversation I had this morning, a woman said, um, I know that I do a good job because they're always telling me, but we lack, they lack this internal knowing, uh, this internal sense of, of worth of being enough just by being who they are. Do you think that's particular to women or do you think it's women and men or you're just dealing with women or do you think it's different? Um, that's a great question. And since I talk to women all the time, I don't know if men feel the same way. I know men are more likely to pursue a new career opportunity with confidence um, that if there's 10 criteria for that job, they'll, they'll, they'll set, they'll have two of those criteria, but yeah. still apply anyway. And for a woman, we have to check all 10 boxes before we feel good enough to even apply. So yes. I think there are some differences. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you think that comes from? Do you think that this is because we're a transitional, um, generation, which, you know, our mothers didn't work for a lot of, in a lot of cases, and now everybody does. Do you think it will be different for our kids going forward? Or do you think this is the sort of existential state of women, period? I think we're on, we're in a state where women are transforming, where women are uh, no longer content with sleepwalking or, um, dealing with patterns of the past. And I, th I think we're all driven by patterns. We're driven by the permissions we were given as children, either implicitly or explicitly on what is available to us or what our limits and boundaries are. And we carry those forward into generations. So I always say that it, whatever you were told or whatever you experienced as a child or whatever was modeled for you doesn't belong to you. And we have this incredible opportunity and I do feel women are embracing it at this point in time, more than any other time in history of shedding the past and creating a new future, whether it's, you know, stepping out of a patriarchal society or stepping out of a different time where, where women were not empowered the way we are empowered today. And even though there are external factors, you know, there are glass ceilings, there is inequality in pay. I think we are on the verge of a big wave of women claiming their power. And to do that, you have to claim your emotional power. So what made you get the idea of going to this silent meditation for 10 days out of nowhere. What um, made you get, that's pretty courageous to, I mean, had you done years and years of therapy and this was your next thing or <laughs> had you avoided no. therapy or. 
<laughs> no, but I decided to do everything all at once. So I got a I got a kick-ass therapist actually because I knew I was a smooth talker. I knew I had a charismatic personality and I I knew I could uh pull the wool over pretty much anyone's eyes and I wanted a therapist who could see through that and really see the real me and help me get to discover me. I had a sister-in-law and brother-in-law who had gone on a silent meditation retreat for 10 days and they survived. So I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And uh, I'm never one to do anything in a small way. Even as a serial hobbyist, you know, I'll jump into something, I'll, I'll, school myself on how to cook, how to be a chef. I went through years of training as a photographer and I just uh, like to do things. And I like to do them well. And so when it came to my own reinvention, I jumped in with all feet and got a personal trainer. I got a nutritionist. I had a therapist. I went on a silent 10 day meditation retreat and was really turning over every rock asking, you know, who am I? And what is my purpose here on earth? Because I had literally put my head in the sand for about 25 years. And once I had that understanding, there was no way I was going to stay in that spot. And what did you learn? What did you come out of that with? What was the mm -hmm. after 10 days of silence? Did you, did it answer those questions? I mean, is, mm -hmm. that, a, is that a tip and a trick for some people? I think it's, it's definitely worth trying. I did that silent meditation retreat every year for five years. What I learned, oh okay. what I learned was it's all about the mind and we are, the mind is almost like a separate entity to our human body. If you, if you think about it before you even open your eyes in the morning, you're thinking and you're, you're being thought actually. And that's what runs the show. The unconscious is what is driving our thoughts, our feelings, our behavior. And so when I realized that what I was thinking and what I was feeling was different than what I was saying and what I was doing, I was doing a lot of people pleasing. I was putting myself last. I was settling for less, a lot of patterns of self-sabotage in there. Uh, and, uh, I decided that I wanted to show up with full integrity. I wanted to think, you know, align with my thoughts, my feelings, my words, and my actions. And I know it sounds a little philosophical, but it is the key to happiness in life is to not believe what you're thinking. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, so talk to me about how this feeds into your current project then. Explain how that works. Yeah, so there's two two themes to the great do-over. Number one is, you know, women who are typically in midlife, although I, I have some new clients who are in their 30s, and I'm, I've been so interested to learn about women in their 30s who have uh, sacrificed a lot for yeah. their careers, and now they find themselves, you know, single, without children, one just focusing solely on work and wondering, you know, what else is left in my life and how come I have this, this singular focus and I'm so unhappy, even though I'm so successful. And then there are the women who are in midlife, typically in their fifties and sixties, either they have been laid off or they are burnt out in their careers and they're looking around and wondering what's next. 
And actually, the number of women jumping out of the corporate workforce into running and starting and running their own businesses has increased 68% in the last five years. And I know you and I share that, that common mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And we're not alone. And the, the reason why I coach women who are starting their businesses for the first time is that number one, it is such, it, it, it will kick up all your stuff, number one, um, all your feelings of insecurity, self-worth, self-confidence. And number two, no one hands your roadmap and says, here's how to be successful. So what I did was I blended my personal reinvention of how to have a great do-over, how to discover yourself in midlife, and my 20-year career of being a product launch executive. And now I help women who are burnt out and ready to reinvent themselves in their careers and uh, launch their own businesses. And so are you a coach? Is that what people sign up for? Or how does it work? You know, that is such a great question. Am I a coach? Yes, I coach people. I'm also a money-making mentor, so I, I help women figure out their business models. Um, there's there's something that happens when you put yourself out there and you launch a business and you're asking other people to pay you. So the whole issues around self-worth and how do I charge and asking for orders or inviting people to come and work with you is something that um, causes women difficulty. So this, this, everything kind of blends together because success in business is 80% mindset. So I'm coaching about how to dance with fear, how to deal with the voices in your head, how to distinguish between self-esteem and self-confidence, and also the, the fundamentals and logistics of how do you launch a business and actually get paid for what you're doing? How do you launch something that people actually want to buy? Do you find women have issues with asking for money? Yes, they do. And what kind of issues are they? Uh, most people, most women, when they first start out anyway, undercharge for their services. And I, most of the women I work with are in the services realm, whether they're selling um, financial advice, if they're a CPA or a coach or uh, doing something in the arts or... Um, Try to think of what my other clients do, but what, whatever they're doing, when it comes to charging for your services, most women undercharge, and they when they do that, when you undercharge for your services, what happens is you create a money making model that can't possibly get you to where you want to go, and so in the services industry, typically we need something that creates more leverage so that your the time you spend with people one-on-one is your, your premium service offering. And then you create a, a scaled service offering around that. But asking for money is a big deal. And what are your solutions for that? What are the things that actually work? Because we did a big piece about how to ask for money without feeling slimy. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. We all suffer from that. I suffer from that. It's a very interesting conundrum. And yet we know that until women have money and until they're making money, there is no power. That's right. So how do you, what kind of tips do you, use or tricks do you get them out of there? 
Mm. So it's a combination of emotional, psychological, and very practical business skills. So number one is, is we start with a money-making model and we look at given what you're charging today and projecting that out for the next 12 months, can you, can you hit your goal? And nine times out of 10, the answer is no. And once we do that, we figure out, well, what is the value of your offering? What is it that you are enabling people to do? And what is the value of that? So part of my, my coaching or my, my mentoring with new women entrepreneurs is the market research piece, which most people skip over. So if you're testing for price sensitivity and for value in the market, you're pricing based on value. You're pricing based on the value of the outcome that your client receives. And if you're showing up authentically with who you are and honestly uh, full of gratitude for, for your life and what you have to offer and you are helping someone else along the way improve their life, then it's an ethical enrollment conversation, which is, you know, you have a desire to be something in your life. So when I'm having a coaching conversation with someone who just say, you know, one of these professional women who's burnt out in her career, what is the cost of staying where you are? What is the cost of staying in anxiety and self-doubt? What is the cost of, of not having the courage to step into the fullest expression of who you are? There's an opportunity cost there in terms of your life. Sometimes there's a financial cost as well. If you're not uh, able to have the confidence and courage, then you're definitely not getting paid what you're worth. In the business sense, it's a matter of understanding, given the business model, can you make money at doing what you're doing? And if you can't, then knowing that three months in, is such a gift. So you're not waking, wasting valuable cycle time, valuable time, energy, and money only to find out that you can't really sustain this. The other thing about women is that they tend to bootstrap their own money rather than uh, looking for investors. And guys almost never do that. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> Guilty as charged. I totally understand that because you don't want to disappoint anybody. You know, that's we're so involved in the relationships. Exactly. And uh, that becomes the binding situation. So what else do you hear from older women? Is it, Does it get any better when you look at the difference between the older women and younger women? Are there any positive things that happen um, as you get older in terms of having more confidence or being able to launch out there faster? Um, I think... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking here, my clients have been anywhere from 33 to 75. And I think the only thing that happens in age is there's an increased motivation because the runway is significantly shorter. And so the anxiety of it's now or never. And so that in and of itself uh, brings up more courage. You know, if I'm oh, not, I if, I, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? So that's interesting. So older women seem to be more courageous because there's less time to get it done. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Okay. Any other things that you see that are hopeful for older women? I think there's a wisdom. There is a, a collective wisdom of having spent all this time on this planet and experiencing all that you've experienced. So you have a lot to share 
And I'm 62 right now. And I've just come to this realization myself because I think my own ver view of myself hadn't really caught up and, and matched what I was doing in my life. And that the, the mentoring and coaching that I was doing with women, younger women, women in midlife, older women was having such an instrumental effect. It's, you know, my small footprint on this world is being able to, to share what I've learned and it has value to other people. So I think in later years, we've got a lot of wisdom to share. And the fact that you're doing Covey Club and, and allowing women to share through their stories is, is a great, great opportunity for us to, to come together as women, as sisters, and embolden each other through our, just through relationship. Yeah. And what's interesting when you were talking about the 30 somethings, I get approached by a lot of 30 somethings who are really having an existential issue, which is mm -hmm. I've bit this thing and I'm killing myself and I have no life. And if they have a family, they barely see their family. And a lot of them are working remotely and they're saying, why am I doing this? Like, what's the point of this? I don't get it. And it's a very interesting thing that I think the older women um, can help those younger women understand how to navigate that because it can be very hollow. And it is around in your 30s that you finally start saying, is this all there is? Especially if you've been successful up until that point, that's a, that's a big, is this all there, you know, ex existential moment, don't you think? I think so. And I also think it's the fallout of feminism. I think we as mothers, now I, I started much later in life, so my son is only 20, but I, I see my goddaughter who is at that stage. And it was the messages that we were giving our children, you know, that women were, we can bring home the bacon, we can fry up, fried it up in the pan. And, and that was the time that these women were, young women were born. So these were the messages that we gave them is that you can be equal to men. You can get paid as much. You can work as hard and they dove in. And so that's why I say it's all about patterns from the past because we're all inheriting things from generations before and to have a consciously created life and demonstrate for our children that you can consciously create your life. And if this isn't feeling good and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're having an existential crisis when you're 30 years old, I always tell them, this is great news. You didn't have to wait until you were 55. Very good. You've got a long runway ahead. You can create whatever life you want to create. You want better work-life balance? Do it. And, you know, careers are a lot like dating. It's sort of like we go out with men and we think about, well, does this is is does he work for me? Is this relationship going to fit for me? And it's like going shopping without having the intent of buying something in particular. You know, you're just trying on the dress, trying on the jacket. Does this look good at, good on me? We do that with men. We also do that with careers. You know, so I was talking to a woman this morning who's on the job market, and she said, "Well, I've got four potentials, and here's one. It's a startup, and this one has other things." And I said, "But what do you want?" Instead of fitting mm. into someone else's box, create the box you want to play in mm. and then go find it. Because, mm. and Leslie, I know you know this, it's all about intention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And once you have the intention to create the life that you want to live, it falls into place. And once I discovered that little secret that all I had to do was figure out what I wanted and then it all fell into place, I am 62 now and happier than I've ever been in my entire life. I don't live in the biggest house I ever lived in. I don't have the highest paying job that I ever had, but my level of happiness is literally through the roof. I'm healthier, I'm happier, I'm doing work that I love. So are you one of those, when you say intention, are you one of those woo-woo, if you can imagine it, you can be it? People are, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I think, uh, no, things don't happen by magic. I do believe in the energy of attraction. I do believe what you focus your attention on expands. And so if you're thinking about possibility versus fear of what might go wrong, you're going to invite more possibility into your life. Um, I also say you get what you expect. And if you expect it to be hard, it'll be hard. I guarantee you it'll be hard. If you expect to learn along the way and you're paying attention to all the cues and you're willing to adjust, um, then it, it's easier. Interesting. So in our closing, what three tips would you suggest that somebody who's out there listening right now and is trying to figure out how they should approach reinvention? They're either in a terrible, they could be a job or a terrible marriage or a, you know, some kind of situation, a health issue has come up or something like that. And they've got to, to reinvent somehow. What would you say are three steps that they could start with tomorrow? and get going? Are there books? Are there podcasts? Are there, how do you get going? How do you get going? Uh, first of all, you start paying attention to what's going on in that internal talk track in your head. So our minds are like hoarders houses. And in order for there to be insight or inspiration or new direction, you have to kind of clear out the old dusty closet. So journaling, so start, start journaling, start getting in touch with your inner wisdom, because the truth is that, everything that you need is already contained in who you are. And it's just a matter of getting in touch with that instead of relying on, on outside advice or outside voices, start tuning into your own voice. So in the old FM radio stations, we'd have a lot of static on the, the line, tune into your own signal. Number two is start acting on what comes out in that journal. If you have a desire to talk to someone, a desire to do something, take an action. So Leslie, this is where the action comes in. It's not just woo woo. If you think it, you can be it. You, have, <laughs> you can, but you have to take steps toward it, right? So you wanted to, you know, leave the publishing world and, and launch this amazing online community. You had to do things to make that happen. It wasn't just, you didn't just snap your fingers to get there. And the third is um, get support. So women, for some reason, we think we need to do it all on our own. And it's not the case. And if you have children, you know, if they needed tutoring, you would hire a tutor. If they needed a coach, you'd hire a coach. Comes to going to college, you get a college counselor. So there's no reason why you have to do it alone. Find someone who's been there, done that, uh, has the t-shirt, can give you the navigation, can show you the steps on how to get there. I think I've heard from a lot of people who provide coaching in many different areas that this is one of the problems is that women will 
go out and buy the kid the, you know, the coolest, hottest, neatest, you know, ski or skateboard or whatever they need to be successful in their sports thing that they're pursuing or, you know, they'll get them the course in creative writing that they're interested in. And then when it comes to spending money on themselves, they won't do it. Have you seen that? I've seen it, which is why uh, some women uh, choose not to go down this path and they feel like they want to figure it out on their own. And others who realize that like anything else, it's an investment that gets a return. So once you are able to fully step into the fullest expression of who you are, uh, ask for what you want, which includes asking for a raise, includes asking for the salary that you want, you actually get it back in spades. It's, um, it's a false belief that it's a cost. It's really an investment that, that pays off in additional happiness, less fear, less anxiety. And likely, I've never done a, did a study with a correlation, but I think women who are happier make more money. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, Deborah, thank you so much. And everybody can go and find you if they want to get your coaching or see what you're all about at thegreatdoover.com. That's right. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Deborah. I so appreciate it. And I'm going to go out there and, and visualize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love that, Leslie. Just call me later. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much. It was great fun. So thanks to everybody for joining us for this great discussion on Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And I hope if you enjoyed us, enjoyed it, you will give us some stars and rate us so that other people can find this podcast as well. That's the only way that people can find us. I hope you'll share it with friends and you'll pass it along and you'll also subscribe. And I hope you'll join us at coveyclub.com where you'll find more information about women who are reinventing themselves, who are creating second and third acts. You'll find tips and tricks about branding, and everything to do with how to get that new you out there and start moving on what you've got to do next. And we're really excited about it. Remember, age is just a number and look at all these amazing women and what they're doing. If they can do it, you can do it. Believe me. So thank you for joining and hopefully we will see you next time. Thanks a lot.